Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with my co-host, Devin Dito. Today is August 14th, 2021, and it's weekly roundup number nine. We've got plenty of news and lots of topics, so let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, our first topic, listeners, we're going to talk about Governor Cuomo, or soon to be, I guess, former Governor Cuomo. Um, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced Tuesday that he will resign from office following accusations of sexual harassment and inappropriate conduct from a number of women, including former staffers and one current staffer. His resignation will be effective in 14 days. After a five-month-long investigation, New York State Attorney General Letitia James announced in a 168-page report last week that the governor engaged in conduct constituting sexual harassment under federal and New York state law. In announcing his resignation, Cuomo said his instinct was to fight through the controversy, which he says politically motivated. He said, quote, this is this is about politics and our political system today is too often driven by extremes. In my mind, I never crossed a line with anyone, but I didn't realize the extent to which the line had been redrawn, he said, and I should have no excuses. So, Devin, at least he owns up to what he did, I guess, kind of, sort of. He said he didn't realize he crossed the lines, but I'm just like, um, you know, I'm, you know, as an adult who, who's, you know, been sexually active before, I know what no means and you can pick up on body language and there's a lot of different things you can do to know when people are, are uncomfortable. So, I don't think that this is something where people are just woke now to sexual harassment and woke to, you know, sexual consent. I think that that's always been a thing. Uh, It's just now that, you know, he's getting ousted out of office. Exactly. I think it's funny. Like you say, it's like, did he admit, you know, to doing anything wrong necessarily? I don't think so. I mean, he from him, he says it's politically motivated and he's just saying, essentially saying that society is looking at what he's doing with you know hindsight 2020 redrawing the lines basically of what is sexual harassment and what isn't um, there's a, a hint of truth to what he's saying but I think in this regard you know there were so many allegations um, and, and there you know it's a 168 page report so obviously there's you know meat to this a- allegations um, so I hate that you know of course I didn't expect him to apologize or anything like that and say you know what I did was wrong. I mean he kind of did say that but he kind of left the door open to the fact that he feels as though he didn't do anything wrong. Um but like you say he's currently uh Governor Andrew Cuomo and in like 14 days he'll be former governor um Andrew Cuomo. So um uh, so yeah so we we'll, of course we'll keep you updated if anything else happens. He will not be impeached. They did suspend the impeachment investigation. Uh, in case you were keeping up with that also. Uh, But we're going to kind of shift gears to our next story. And we're going to go to North Carolina, where uh, former NBA standout J.R. Smith, you may remember him from the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, when he was playing with LeBron James. He is now going back to school. So he's going to enroll at North Carolina A&T. And he he uh, intends to join the historically black university's uh, men's golf team. If he get if he gets cleared by the NCAA, and so a spokesman for the university said or told ESPN that Smith is is actually officially enrolled in the school and has petitioned the NCAA to be eligible to play men's golf, and so uh, his clock to compete as a collegiate athlete has not yet started because he actually went to the NBA after high school, and so athletes in most cases get five years to compete. 
uh, to complete four years of eligibility. And so uh, per NCAA rules, an individual shall, shall not be eligible for intercollegiate athletics in a sport if the individual ever competed on a professional team in that sport. So unless he played professional golf somewhere, uh, he theoretically should win this petition. Uh, but, you know, they don't ban a former pro athlete from competing in a different sport. And so uh, it's going to be interesting. Multiple collegiate athletes have played professional sports before, before returning to school to compete in Division One athletics. So uh, I'm glad, you know, Adrian, I'm awesome to see him going back to school. And even more interesting, you know, that he wants to make a, a switch from playing, you know, professional basketball to men's golf, apparently. So going to be interesting. We could see him on the green. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I think it's interesting. Obviously, we definitely want to endorse anybody who's wanting to further their education. Um, it, it definitely seems timely with all these new uh, rules about college athletes being able to make money. Because um, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much money um, J.R. Smith is making as a former NBA um, athlete. Probably not a whole lot, you know, because I like they're paying. I mean, you may get a pension from them, but I don't think they're paying you those big buku bucks. So, uh, this could be his <laughs> way to, <laughs> right? This could be his way to make a second comeback. Maybe he didn't, uh, use his first money well and he's trying to make some second money or something. But hey, you know, um, he's not breaking any rules. So it seems like he should, uh, win this. So, uh, listeners, we're going to take you to another story here. And this is actually out of Memphis. I, uh, I lived in Memphis, uh, for a little bit, uh, I guess about three years. So, uh, it's an interesting story, listeners, but it says a black man was gunned down by a white security guard officer in Memphis after the victim was exercising his basic right to pump gas and play his music. His family said Alvin Motley Jr. 48 was filing, was filling up Saturday at a Kroger fuel center at 6660 Poplar Avenue when he got into a dispute with the security guard. Uh, and this is all reported by the Memphis Police Department, which we actually reached out to them to try to get a chance to talk to them. The disagreement was over loud music being played by the victim, his family said, and ended with security guard Gregory Livingston, who's 54, allegedly shooting Motley in the, in the chest. Motley was pronounced dead at the scene and Livingston was booked into custody on suspicion of second degree murder. Alleged, uh, I guess he works for Adelaide Universal Security. Uh, they were involved in the Saturday shooting, had hired uh, him through a third party contractor. Under ordinary circumstances, the case would be tried by Shelby County District Attorney, but she announced Thursday that her office had a potential conflict of interest and we'll send the matter to a special prosecutor. So, um, you know, it's, it's, of course, there's probably a lot more, uh, that's going to come out of this story, Devin and listeners, uh, very, very early on to kind of say too, too much about it. But, um, I don't know what would have happened to escalate some sort of situation where you go from, you know, someone's just playing loud music, pumping gas, and they just get shot in the chest. Um, that's, that just seems a lot, uh, Devin. I don't, I don't, I don't know how else to say it. It just seems a lot. That, that's you know, that's all it takes for us. You know, it could be playing loud music in the parking lot, and somebody has an issue with it. A person who's armed has an issue with it, and they go ahead and say, "I'm going to be judge, jury, and executioner." Now, of course, we're saying this without ha- without having all the facts. There's going to be an investigation, and the full story will come out, but. We've heard this story before. I think there was something some years ago 
where someone, you know, was again killed at a gas station for playing loud music after they got into an altercation with someone who had an issue with the music that they were playing and how loud it was. And it's just like a rerun of that. So, I mean, it's just sad to see. And then, like you say, playing music at a gas station, that's all it takes, you know, for us. That's the threshold. You get into an argument and you could eventually, you could possibly lose your life, you know, because you decided to play, you know, your music <laughs> at a certain volume. So, yeah, I just wonder, which of course I don't know if the story says, but surely the guy at least asked him to turn his music down if he didn't like it that much. I mean, that's, that, you know, that's usually the first step to, you know, doing something. Obviously, there was a disagreement and probably a dispute mm-hmm. that led to all of this, but that's some wacky stuff. Yeah, it is. And, and, I don't, I don't think there was a, I don't think they have those details just yet. Like I said, that's going to probably come out in the investigation of how this conversation went. You know, the unfortunate thing is we don't have, you know, the, the, the story from the other side, the victim in this case, because, you know, uh, Mr. I think his name, Mr. Motley is, is, is dead. So we won't get his story. So we're going to have to go off what this security guy, uh, security officer tells us. And so hopefully you know, that's the truth, but it's just a sad situation. And again, you know, a lot of times the threshold for us to get in, you know, in, in situations where we could lose our life could be just as simple as you filling up at the gas station and playing some music. That's all it takes. Um, and somebody, you know, goes out and carries out justice, but just a sad story. And we'll keep you updated, um, as you know, as that goes along there in Memphis, but again, uh, just a tragic, tragic story. Um, but let's kind of shift gears here to some more positive news coming out of Berkeley, California. So uh, so her name is Rosa Higgs. She's a teacher from Berkeley, California, and she has proven she she's proven why phonics uh, instruction actually matters. And her phonics workbook series entitled Read in 40 Hours or Less, uh, they're designed to help black students learn to read well and beyond grade level in less than 40 hours of direct instruction. And so um, she even got the attention of actor and activist Danny Glover. And he said, quote, I myself suffer, suffer from dyslexia and Rosa Higgs has developed the most genuine reading materials for people of all abil- ability levels and ages. And so the Read in 40 workbooks are sure to jostle the foundation of education and cognitive sciences um, Higgs workbooks are an educational triumph in language arts of the first order, and they're sure, of course, to call shockwaves in K through 12 schooling. And her her erudite, scholarly, genius work is esteemed by parents and students alike. So, really great work that she's doing there. And a really positive story, and you know, surprising to see some innovation happening in the educational sector where you don't see a lot of this happening. People trying to find new ways, you know, to, to teach. That's one area I think a lot of people agree. Schooling and education has not really progressed and innovated the way that you would think we would in, in you know, 2021. So really glad to see it took, you know, for, and a black author to create a book where you can learn to read in 40 hours or less. Yeah, it's amazing, Devin. I know, you know, everybody struggles, well, not everybody, but I know there's a, you know, large population that struggles with that. And it's hard to talk to, you know, parents or teachers or counselors about it. So it's great that there's new resources kind of help students with it. Um, some more good news listeners to kind of add on to that. It's about a new black startup company that's really going to, uh, I guess, help to try to transform some of the health inequalities that we've been able to see that's, you know, been a result of the pandemic. It says uh, to address racial health disparities among black people, 
entrepreneur Kimberly Wilson announced her startup Hude. Hopefully that's how you say it. Uh, has raised $1.6 million in seed funding to combat the inequality. Wilson received a vast number of investments, including Serena Williams' VC firm, Serena Ventures, Black Founders Matter, Female Founders Fund, Gingerbread Capital, and angel investor and healthcare leader Haley Teckel, or Haley uh, Teco. Wilson said she created this company because of her own personal experience as a patient after receiving improper health care for a fibroid diagnostics uh, diagnosis in 2017. The goal of Hude is to impact over 500,000 Black and Latino patients by 2025. Wilson believes this is achievable through increased access to quality health care. She also stated that entering a partnership with the right investors was super important. Well, as someone who does business, uh, Devin, and helps like with entrepreneurship, yeah, you, you better find the right investors because <laughs> we always say it when we get ready to talk about donations. Good ideas have to be funded, you know, funded by dollars. You can have a great idea, but if you can't get anybody to invest in it or you don't have the money yourself, you can't get it off the ground. So, um, like I said, listeners, this is going to uh, help out with what's going on with uh, health disparities. So we hope that this really is successful. No, I mean, that's that's great. And like you say, you know, here in America, it takes money, it takes money. There are great ideas out there that just need a little bit of green behind them. So it's glad, really awesome to see her get some, some you know, $1.6 million a lot is a lot in seed funding. And she's got big names like Serena Williams behind her. So um, that's that's really cool to see. Um, and so hopefully, it, you know, it gets off the ground and we'll be hearing more about Hude um, in the future. And so. Uh, let's kind of move on. So our next story here comes out of Utah, and we're going to be talking about the founder of Black Lives Matter Utah. Her name is Lex Scott. And so uh, she announced on uh, on social media on Sunday that she would be stepping down as both president of the BLM Utah chapter and the Utah Black History Museum. And this is coming uh, more than a month after a controversial, controversial post that she shared on uh, social media about the American flag that went viral and sparked an eruption of death threats. And so she said that the exhaustion of being on the, on the defense had worn on her and she was also prepared to die, that she welcomed death and that uh, is not uh, living. And so in July, she uh, posted a comment. So this is what all this is about. She posted a comment calling the American flag a, quote, symbol of hatred, end quote. And so she wrote this in a Facebook post on the Black Lives Matter YouTube chapter, uh, Utah chapter's page, and she wrote, the only new thing was when someone attempted to climb over my fence, and instead of defending myself, I relaxed my body and told myself that I wish they would hurry and get it over with. I did not even want to fight back, end quote. So, Adrian, uh, that lets you, that just kind of shows you that the social digital world has real world consequences, you know, especially when you say something like the American flag is a symbol of hatred, you already know you're going to set off a firestorm. Uh, and I think she may have underestimated the response that she was going to get and how that was really going to affect her in the real life. It doesn't just stay on the platforms anymore. Um, you know, that this really, as you can see, she's talking about, pot, you know, she was welcoming death. You know, this really was messing with her mental health. And so, you know, I, I don't agree with the comment, so I'm not going to go there with her. But of course, this is probably the best thing for her to do if you were having, you know, really suicidal thoughts because of the messages that were coming in. And the people who are saying this too, like, look, like you, you don't, you can't just threaten people's lives because they 
said something on Facebook that you didn't like. That's out of line too. But again, you know, when you say these things and your face out there, you just got to be careful what you say. Um, and so probably the best decision for everybody involved <laughs> for her to just step down. Agreed. I think whenever you're an elected leader, leader of an organization, anything that has a voice and an opinion, um, you just have to be prepared uh, to be in a fishbowl where people are looking and investigating everything, anything you say. Um, but yeah, if her mental health tells her to do one thing, she needs to you know do that and tend to that. Obviously, a lot of those death threats, you know, exhausted her. I mean, if there's ever a point to where you just like get it over with, you know, after being, you know, threatened, you know, with death, that's, yeah, that's a lot of uh, fatigue there. But uh, listeners, before we end this segment here, we just want to give you a little update from the U.S. Census numbers. Uh, these were released on Thursday. A uh, really good picture of how America has grown since 2010. That was the last time that the census was done. Hispanic share of the population actually grew to 18.7%, and that was up from 16.3% in 2010. The share of white population actually fell. It was 63.7% in 2010. Now it's only 57.8%, the lowest on record, driven by falling birth rates among white women compared with Hispanic and Asian women. Overall, U.S. population is 87.8% white, 18.7% Hispanic, 12.1% black, 11.4% Asian and otherwise. Population grew by 7.4% in the past decade, slowest pace since the Great Depression. Interesting numbers here, Devin. Uh, that's probably why uh, Ron Johnson was saying that, you know, we got to still back our culture. Uh, he probably looked at these census numbers and <laughs> and like white people were getting... You know, we're losing numbers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's probably some of that out there. And just one little tidbit, it's 57%, not 87% white, just for the folks out there. This country is not nearly 90% white. Maybe. Oh, my bad. I just, I missed that. I'm a little <laughs> dyslexic at times. No, see, see, you need the book. No, it's playing. <laughs> hey, it's, I am that way with numbers. So if she does one with numbers, I'll take it. <laughs> No, I get no. I just, you know, I didn't want people to be like, oh, 87 percent white. No, 57 percent white uh, is, is you know, the kind of how it breaks down in, in you know, us in the black community. We're 12 percent. But I mean, yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are out there nervous, especially here in Texas. I think now the Hispanic population is now, I think, the second largest group here. And it's not it's maybe three percentage points difference between the, the white um, population and the Hispanic population here in Texas. So we could be majority Hispanic here in the, you know, the next census. And so that's a humongous change. So interesting, though, to see how the country you know, is really, really changing. And so we're going to go ahead and take our first break. And when we come back, we'll get back into the news here. Uh, some interesting news out of Illinois. Uh, we'll also cover some, some black entrepreneurs that are giving away some money that you might want to, you know, get a get a business plan together and try to take advantage. And then we'll also, you know, talk about Jazz Fest. And people are actually out here fighting over masks. <laughs> that is that is a real thing in 2021. So we're going to cover all that in our next segment. So stick with us. We'll be right back. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. 
You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So like I said before the break, we were going to dig into some news about uh, some black entrepreneurs that are giving out some money um, that you might want to really get, you know, get going, get a business plan going because you might you may be able to take advantage of this. And so uh, his name is Niamke. I hope I'm saying that right. Niamke Muhammad. Um, and he wants to see more black entrepreneurs become successful. So he has now actually formed what he's calling the B Network Group. And so the company is family owned and yearns to help black people put their products in the marketplace and make a way to provide for their families. And so uh, the B Network Group started the company with the core values of contributing to the community and building trust through through transparency. And Niamki knew that $50,000 alone would not get a product into a major grocery store overnight. But he realized it would be the start of the process for a black entrepreneur into becoming an organic household brand. And so uh, the group affirms that if you came up, if you come up with a solid business plan, so here's how you do it. You come up with a solid business plan, they will fund it. They aren't seeking corporate celebrity backing or sponsorships. They want to support, uh, they want the support to come from us, our people. And so a mere sacrifice of not hanging out um, and a donation of $50 to be not the B Network Group feels the company would be on its way to becoming financially independent and in a position to help individuals. And so the $50,000 allotment will go to anyone who has a business plan that will create jobs and industry in the African and African-American communities across the globe. And so he also plans to choose one company, corporation, or nonprofit every year to give $500,000 that aligns with the company's goals, principles, and advocations. So if you're trying to put a business plan together, Adrian, I know we're, we've been talking about it. You've been talking about it. Uh, this might be your chance to get, you know, $50,000 of funding um, to get it, you know, to really get it off the ground. Trust me, Devin, I've, uh, I've, thought, I've <laughs> thought about about maybe uh, like two or three different plans. I could uh, go to Mr. Muhammad and try to get him to fund because uh, there's a several different things I've thought about. So during my uh, MBA program, it's a uh, concentration is in entrepreneurship. And I actually have to, you know, have a three course series, a three course sequence rather where I, you know, develop a business idea. So hey. I guess in a year I'll have have something official to pitch, maybe a couple different ideas to pitch Mr. Muhammad. Um, to take us to Illinois, which is going to be my neighboring state here in the next week or so, um, they're actually doing something really cool, listeners. Um, Illinois will require news literacy courses at every high school. The hope is that these classes will provide the next generation with tools to maneuver the Internet's misinformation minefield. Between the contentious 2020 presidential race and the pandemic, the past few years have been a perfect storm for misinformation on the Internet. Illinois is actually going to be leading the charge to kind of fight this. It's the first state to require high schools to teach news literacy classes. Under the new curriculum, Illinois students will analyze news content across platforms. It found that it's helpful for students to use what's called lateral reading, which is simply just keeping a tab opening, opening up other posts to kind of source the information that's in the original tab. For this to work, though, teachers also have to be media savvy. Students say that they often struggle because their strategies from teachers are often outdated. 
And also teachers must create an experience where students feel comfortable talking about political issues, all while knowing how and when to push back on baseless conspiracy theories. So, uh, Devin, I think this is going to be something that every uh, state needs to do. Um, after Donald Trump, after the pandemic, we all know how much misinformation is used. And it's important for uh, students to kind of know how to you know, fight against it. Absolutely. I wish I could take this class. <laughs> I take it right now, even as a grown adult. <laughs> I think everybody, you know, should be required. Maybe we can make this mandatory when you go get your license or renew your registration. <laughs> you have to take a news literacy course to get it. Um, I mean, you would think that. <laughs> yeah, you would. I mean, it's it's an absolute problem. And, you know, it's it's a something we didn't think would happen, but, you know, people are weaponizing misinformation. If you don't think that's a problem, just think, just go Google COVID vaccine on YouTube and see all the bull crap videos that pop up um, that have no truth in them. But people like I said, I told, somebody told me that I was going to get a butt clap because of the vaccine I was getting on the plane. So, Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> they, they sent me some article and some video that some, some news person was talking about misinformation. Yeah, misinformation. You're right. I I have, you know, family members who are praying for me that I don't die from the COVID vaccine. That, that is a, a direct quote. They're praying for me. They said I'm blind and I don't know what's going on. I'm being hoodwinked into taking a vaccine that's going to eventually kill me. So, you know. <laughs> that's, a, that's a heavy uh, opinion right there. That's... Um... Well, again, did, did they at least send you some some uh, information as to why they're thinking this or not? Not yet. You know, not yet. But again, like I say, you know, you can turn on YouTube and find 50 videos full of crap that'll tell you the vaccine is going to kill you. It's got a microchip. It's changing your DNA, you know, <laughs> and I hate to stick on this topic, but people are, are mixing up what a vaccine actually does. You know, it's like all of a sudden we're all epidemiologists and we know how vaccines work and what goes into them and all that. So yeah, you know, hopefully we don't die in the next, I don't know, six months or something like that. I (laughs) mean, it's, (laughs) it's so interesting to me because it's just like, like, you know, we're at a point in our, in, in our society where like trying to get people to accept truth and fiction is, is just so hard. I mean, it's just like, because of what you just said, there's so many different things that justify and make any and everything true. And we're not in a culture where we just, you know, cancel or, or in, you know, baseless and false claims. Like if there's a reporter who's doing something wrong like that, you know, pulling their, you know, their job from them. We, we, you know, we don't do that as a, as a society, but I feel like that's the only thing that's going to get us back to that level of, you know, this is right. This is wrong. Like, you know, it's not like a gray area. We're just going to have to start, you know, people who indulge, who endorse and indulge in these falsehoods, they just shouldn't be media personalities any longer. But again, how do you do that as a society? Because then you're going to run into people saying, well, you're politically driven. You're saying that this is fact and this, cause you know, some people don't believe in climate change or whatever. So <sighs> that that's the conundrum um, that we're going through. And like you say, there's so much information out there and everybody believes that they have information that you don't have and, and vice versa. <laughs> and there's no governing agency. There's nobody who 
calls or shots as far as, no, that's a fact. That's not. We have fact-checking organizations, but we don't listen to them any, them anyway because we say it's political, they're, they're biased or whatever. So it's just a problem. And I'm glad that, you know, Illinois here is trying to blunt the blunt this issue up front by getting the students early, letting them know this is how you actually go through and be media savvy to where you can do your research and find out if something is actually true and don't just take, you know, a Facebook post, you know, at face value. So really great thing. Hopefully that goes nationwide or something. (laughs) Um, But we're going to go from Illinois. We're going to go across the world, you know, travel a little bit across the Atlantic here. We're going to go to Afghanistan um, if you haven't heard, the U.S. is planning to pull out of Afghanistan next month. And so as we get closer and closer um, to this, uh, the, the campaign that started in 2001 is going to be ending soon. But um, with the troops being pulled out, the, telegram, the Taliban has now seized nine of the country's 34 provincial, provincial uh, capitals, and they're threatening to take more. And so our President Biden has urged Afghanistan's leaders to unite and, and fight for their nation. But, you know, more than a thousand, a thousand civilians have been killed amid fierce fighting between the Taliban and government forces in the past month. And this is according to the U.N. Um, its children's agency, UNICEF, uh, warned this week that violence being committed against children was growing higher uh, by the day. And, and this is something, Adrian, I think I had read, too, that they're thinking of moving the U.S. Embassy to the Kabul airport now instead of where it currently is. Um, And so this is a situation, this is going to really test, you know, us as a country because we're trying to get out of there. And it seems like the country is is really going, you know, delving into chaos because we're no longer there. We don't have a presence. Somebody's got to fill the power void. And right now the Taliban seems to be primed and ready to take over once we get out of there. Yeah, it's uh, it's really bad, Devin. I, you know, I always say that I'm I'm more about domestic policy than foreign policy, but and I also say U.S. foreign policy is usually not a good example of of adequate foreign policy. But I think that, like you said, we went in there and created a situation, and now trying to pull out of it, you, somebody's going to rise up and and try to, you know, like you said, to power vacuum. So. I'm not going to say I'm one of those people who support, you know, constant troops or endless wars because, you know, I'm going to be a politician. I don't need anybody, you know, coming back to this episode and trying <laughs> to judge me on that. But I will say that when you go into a place and you cause a lot of civil unrest, you can't just pull out and expect things to just be okay. So, so nice, take, nice <laughs> take it. <laughs> Take it for what it's worth. But uh, to get to some more wholesome uh, news on, on home soil, you know, coming back to the States here, the uh, um, New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival has been canceled. Um, won't be returning, uh, organizers said, uh, Sunday. The festival, which traditionally is held in the spring, had been scheduled to run October 8th through 10th and October 15th through 17th this year after being canceled last year because of the pandemic. But organizers cited current exponential growth of new COVID cases in the city and region, as well as an ongoing public health emergency and announcing that the festival will not occur as planned. Jazz Festival celebrates the indigenous music and culture of New Orleans and Louisiana. The music encompasses nearly every style imaginable. 
blues, R&B, gospel, Cajun, Zedeco, uh, Afro-Caribbean, folk, Lat- uh, Latin, rock, rap, contemporary, traditional jazz, country, bluegrass, and everything in between. So um, I know yeah, New Orleans is really, really known for their music. I love you know going down there, a lot of stuff happening. Um, it's unfortunate that this won't be going on, but with things going really high with COVID, um, I feel like we're about to be going back to 2020, Devin. A, a little bit. You know, a little, it seems like we're sliding backwards for sure, you know, with the Jazz Fest being canceled now two years in a row. And I think even New Orleans is really hurting when it comes to those major events. Mardi Gras didn't happen. And now you got year two of Jazz Fest that's being canceled. Um, you know, it's just, it's tough. And it's, it's really disheartening because a lot of people have gone out, taken their shots, gotten their vaccines and hoping we would be somewhere close to normal. And it's just like we got close. And then now it's like we're sliding backwards. So just hate to see that, you know, wear your mask, get the vaccine. Please, you know, do your part here. Uh, but kind of continuing in that same lens of talking about COVID and, and how it's changing things. Uh, we're going to go to California here. There was an elementary school teacher who was actually in the hospital after being, and they were attacked by a parent during a verbal argument over the use of face masks. And so this is from the district superintendent. So what happened here, just kind of tell the story. The sixth grade teacher was actually stitched up at the hospital for cuts and lacerations to his face that he sustained in a physical fight between him and a parent. And this was a, a fight between the parent and the school's principal on the campus of Sutter Creek Elementary School, which is near Sacramento. And so what happened is the parent was in school and they caught a glimpse of several vaccinated teachers across the hall in the teacher's lounge and they weren't wearing masks. And this parent became very angry. And so just to let these people know, like teachers are allowed to remove their mask in the company of other vaccinated educators. And this is from California State. Um, and so after a verbal argument between the student's father and the principal over the mask, in which the parent called the situation, quote, a conspiracy and claimed that children were being, quote, treated like animals, the parent left campus. And then a short time later, he returned without his daughter and again engaged in an argument with the principal. And this is kind of when things went left really quickly. So the situation escalated. A male teacher actually had to step in and try to settle this dad down, but a physical fight ensued between the parent and the principal. And that left the principal uh, with cuts and lacerations to his face. And he had to go to the hospital to get stitches. And so somehow, Adrian, this father has not been arrested yet. <laughs> Police are investigating. But at, at the moment, the father was not arrested at the scene. Uh, but what just an insane story fighting over masks. Like, it, I just I don't understand what is what's COVID has done to people. But, you know, what what happened to just common decency of we're just going to have a discussion rather than an argument? I'm going to fight you <laughs> over teachers not wearing masks when they're vaccinated in the teacher's lounge. Uh, I think people are just COVID crazy, Devin. Um, that's the <laughs> that's the, everybody's believing in conspiracies around what they should and shouldn't do. Um, and unfortunately it's just going to be the next flu, the next common cold. Um, you know, that's what COVID's going to be because people are just going to keep denying getting vaccines and we're going to keep getting more variants. Um, and then this other news about the CDC um, recommending a third vaccine dose for immunocompromised individuals. You know, that's another reason for people to take this thing seriously. 
Um, they're basically saying anyone who is, you know, has an Im- a compromised immune system should actually seek a third vaccine. So uh, it's a lot, Devin. Uh, people need to take the, the virus serious. I mean, we've been discussing this ever since we started the, the, the podcast uh, and we're in season <laughs> three. Um, so it's a lot of lives lost, uh, a lot of hospital beds filled, a lot of ventilators being used. And here we are today still. Um, but listeners, we're going to come back. Uh, we're going to take a break here. Uh, come back and do our quick hits. Uh, we've got some interesting quick hits uh, this week. Some of them are strange, funny, and some of them are just um, just just bad examples of, of bad people. Just you, know, you shouldn't do these sorts of things. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, let's get into it here. Our quick hits here. Uh, for my first quick hit, I found this article uh, out of Western Washington. It says King County deputies responded to a road rage report of a suspect throwing an axe at a driver near Interstate 5. The driver of a Jeep began honking at the victim while they merged on the Northeast 145th Street. And the Jeep driver continued to honk at the victim as both victims traveled northbound. Reports say that the victim took the Bollinger Way exit to Shoreline to avoid the confrontation, but the Jeep unfortunately followed and eventually passed in front of the victim and blocked the road uh, of, the, of the victim there. Video footage of the incident shows the Jeep driver hurling an axe at the victim before driving over the median and fleeing. Authorities were able to identify the Jeep driver from additional surveillance videos, and they actually apprehended the suspect and arrested him for multiple felonies. The 47-year-old suspect is also even accused of yelling racial slurs at the uh, victim. So, Devin, not only did the guy do something terrible by really having rural bat road rage, uh, I don't even know who drives around with axes in their car, and, you know, he even, you know, threw some some icing on the cake and called somebody you know a racial slur so it's a mess yeah they they, they weren't called to a a road rage incident that was a full-on mental you know breakdown uh it's i don't mean to laugh at it but i mean it's just outrageous you know you're carrying around an axe and you decide to throw it at somebody's car it's just not that serious i could get the honking you know flip them off call them all kind of f-bombs in the car but stopping and pulling in front and throwing an axe is just, you got, there's something else going on there. Um, so just be safe out here, people. I live in Texas, and it's it's the same way here. People put guns on folks. <laughs> so it's just crazy. But um, moving on. Is that bad? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got you to be careful, man. You got to be careful who you honk the horn at or try to get, you know, crazy with. People are, you know, some people are willing to go there. When it comes to road rage, so just be careful. But um, continuing on with the the kind of crazy stories here um, in South Carolina. So, at, at a, a South Car- a McDonald's South in South Carolina, there was a man who was arrested for allegedly giving a child a face tattoo while inside the McDonald's restaurant. And so, 
police said that Brandon uh, Presha, he's 28 and he's from Lawrence, South Carolina. He's been charged with illegal tattooing and then underage tattooing after police learned that a minor received a tattoo. And so the alleged incident happened at a McDonald's in Lawrence, which is in like Northwest South Carolina. And this happened on August 6th. And so authorities were tipped off that a man had tattooed a child's face at the restaurant after a customer filmed the incident and posted a video on social media. Investigators identified the suspect, uh, the suspected unlicensed uh, tattoo artist as Presha. He was arrested on Tuesday and he's currently being held at the Lawrence County Detention Center uh, with a bond of $25,000. So I guess he decided McDonald's was going to be his new tattoo parlor and uh, he had somebody underage to be his first client. Um, But it didn't quite work out there. (laughs) It's just crazy. Yeah, that's very crazy. Um, Maybe he was trying to get some food and he was short. Uh, that day, he was trying to use his skills to monetize that and may, you know, pay for you know pay for a Big Mac or a double quarter pounder or something like that. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> I would love to see the final tattoo. I got to go look it up now. <laughs> I know exactly. Hey, he could be talented. He probably should have just gone and got licensed and, and then started doing tattoos. But exactly. we're going to give you some more international news, um, not about you know the Taliban or anything like that. This is actually out of South Korea, where local authorities are investigating uh, after a man brought in a kimchi fridge that he bought online, and he actually found $130,000 cash taped on the bottom of this kimchi fridge. Uh, police in Jeonju Island said the man filed a police report saying that he was cleaning the recently delivered fridge and found the cash taped to the bottom of the appliance. Investigators said that they're working to identify the online seller, and they're also talking to people involved in this transportation delivery. South Korea's Lost and Found Act states that the cash will become the property of the man who bought the fridge if the rightful owner can't be tracked down. The money will become the property of the state if it is found to have been involved in a crime, which this isn't in the report, but probably likely. Uh, A 2016 report in the Korea Times documented the trend of people keeping their money stored in kimchi fridges amidst record low bank interest rates in South Korea. The report also added that the average kimchi fridge can actually hold up to about $895,200. That's a lot of cash, almost almost a million dollars of, I mean, you know, let's just say $900,000 of cash um, can go in your kimchi fridge. So that's a lot of money. Uh, but yeah, Devin, um, I guess it's interesting that they actually have a whole lost and found act in South Korea. Um, <laughs> I would imagine that the money is probably involved in a crime, but let's keep our fingers crossed for this guy that he'll, you know, get to not only have a new used kimchi fridge, but $130,000 to go with it. Boy, you could buy a whole bunch of other kimchi fridges. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of fools. Man, I wish I, why can't I be that lucky? I want to buy. Yes, I, I need to start going and buying kimchi fridges since people keep them, you know, keep their money since their bank interest rates are so low in South Korea. <laughs> right, man, that'd be nice. But um, moving on, I mean, so we're going to go from a story about somebody finding some money to somebody losing a lot of money, and we're talking millions here. Um, we're going to go to the NBA. So, uh, Los Angeles, former Los Angeles Lakers point guard Dennis Schroeder. Uh, literally fumbled the bag. You know, if you mean when we say fumble the bag, he fumbled it. 
like millions of it. So uh, back in March, Dennis Schroeder was was actually uh, offered from the Los Angeles Lakers. He was offered a four year, eighty four million dollar contract extension. But Mr. Schroeder said he was going to bet on himself and he declined it. And this is in March of this year when it looked like the Lakers were possibly, you know, on their way to the finals again. And so instead of taking the tens of millions of dollars offered to him, he decided, um, you know, that he was going to bet on himself. And soon after he declined that contract, the Lakers championship hopes imploded and he possibly misjudged the offseason spending power around the league. And then he saw the Lakers trade for Russell Westbrook, who is a point guard, to essentially replace him. Um, and that happened on draft day. And so within days of free agency opening in the NBA, the cap space for the Lakers dried up with signing trades, cap exceptions, and minimum minimum deals made up the bulk of these transactions. So instead of getting four years, $84 million on his contract, Dennis Schroeder actually ended up signing a one-year, $5.9 million deal with the Boston Celtics. He literally lost almost $80 million gone <laughs> because he didn't take the contract that was offered to him in March. Oh, my goodness. Adrian, I don't know what I would do. I would have to go see a therapist, psychologist, somebody. Somebody's getting fired. I don't know <laughs> who it needs to be. But, you know, we love it when athletes and players bet on themselves. But, my goodness, you you turned away $84 million and ended up with five point nine. Wow. Yeah. I thought I did some bad um, financial moves with my retirement, with the pandemic, with moving some stuff around. But geez, uh, Dennis, this is uh, – I've been watching the Chappelle show, and one of the skits he uh, did is when keeping it real goes wrong. And I'm just like, man, this is – this is when keeping it real really goes wrong. (laughs) This is absolutely when betting on yourself goes wrong. That's what that means. (laughs) I would too. I mean, at least he's playing. So next time uh, you better take the offer. Yeah. <laughs> but Hey, let's go to Virginia. This isn't a laughing story. It's a, that's a, you know, a crazy story. Maybe scary. If you've got uh, somebody in your close setting that you may be pissed off um, recently, but this is a Virginia woman who is facing felony charges after she allegedly poured rubbing alcohol onto the face and into the eyes of a family member early Tuesday morning, Prince William County police responded to the home. And this was earlier, early about four Oh seven, a.m. They said that Patricia who's 33 snuck into the room of the 48 year old victim while he was sleeping and dumped the alcohol onto his face without provocation. Uh, police are going to be charging her with assault and battery. Um, with a causistic substance and domestic assault and battery. So uh, crazy story, Devin. Somebody that just, you know, it doesn't seem like there was any rhyme or reason to it. She just was, I guess, pissed off at him or something. I don't know. But, yeah, definitely make sure you, you, you keep your, your, your people who live with you happy. Yeah, she couldn't have. There is no excuse for that one. <laughs> I don't care what the problem was. Uh, we had been fighting at four o'clock in the morning if we if she'd done that. Uh, I know she's a woman, but if you pour alcohol in my eyes, we got a problem. Like, no, we can't do that. But I want to hear if she does come up with the reason. I want to know. <laughs> uh, but we'll keep you, you know, updated on that one. And then we're going to kind of end the show with another kind of 
you know, just some crazy stories on this particular uh, weekly roundup here. But our last one here is coming out of Wisconsin. And so the Wisconsin woman accidentally shot a friend while using the laser sight on a handgun to play with the cat. Authorities um, in Wisconsin are saying this. And so a criminal complaint charging the 19-year-old with negligent use of a weapon said she said that she was visiting a Kenosha apartment on Tuesday afternoon where a 21-year-old man had bought a handgun. And so the woman, who a witness said had been drinking, she picked up the handgun and she turned on the laser sight and was pointing it at the floor to get the cat to chase it. And that's when the gun went off. And so the man who was standing in the doorway was actually shot in the thigh. And uh, authorities said he left and went into another apartment where police found him after responding to a 911 call. Uh, So just, you know, we've had axes, we've had all kind of, you know, alcohol in in your eyes. And now we're going to end it with, you know, a friend of yours playing with your gun, playing with the sight, and they accidentally shoot you in the leg. So (laughs) please be safe out there, folks. (laughs) I just Yeah, it's a lot going on. Yeah, it's a lot going on. People are are crazy. Maybe a little COVID crazy, like you say. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But that's going to do it. So that's going to do it for the news portion of the show. We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we'll wrap up the show and let you know what's coming up. Uh, So stick with us, and we'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back, listeners. So as always, we like to leave you with a look forward as to what is upcoming on the podcast. Uh, So first up, our next episode is going to be on Tuesday, August 17th. Uh, So that's going to be all about weed. We're going to be diving into the history of weed in America. And so that's going to be really interesting. We're going to have a guest on the show. His name is John uh, Hudak. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, He's from the Brookings Institution, and he is also the author of a book called Marijuana, A Short History. And so we're going to talk all about the history of weed in America, the, the, you know, the stigma, laws, policies, all of it. We'll talk about it um, on that show. So make sure you tune in Tuesday, August 17th to hear a really great conversation uh, with John Hudak from the Brookings Institution and also author of Marijuana, A Short History. And so then after that episode on the 17th, we'll be right back here with you um, on Saturday, August 21st, to bring you more news in our weekly roundup number 10. So again, tune in Saturday, August 21st to get, August 21st, to get all the news from the past week uh, and, you know, enjoy the news with me and Adrian. So uh, before we go, we also like to let you know, we say this every show, <laughs> but we love it when you download it, listen to the show and support us. But there are actually some other ways you can help us out. Um, and Adrian, you can let the folks know how they can do that. Yeah, absolutely. We do say that, you know, each show, every show, we make sure to say it. And I try to make sure to say it in a different way of why you should donate just to, in case you are regularly listening, you're, you're tired, your ears don't get too tired when you get to this part. But you know, as always, you know, Dev and I, great ideas, big goals, plans to make the world a better place, but we got to have money to do all of those things. 
um, that it takes to kind of transform society. So as always, the easiest thing to do is go to our website, blackagendapie.com, click the donate tab and start giving. Um, you can start off by a dollar, two, three, four, five, whatever you want to do. Um, as they say in church, you know, whatever your heart desires, you know, start giving that and we'll go from there. But there are plenty of reasons to do it because, like I said, Dev and I, we're going to do some great things. One of the other things that we like to do is uh, highlight a charity for each month. And for the month of August, we've chosen the organization Choose 180. Choose 180 transforms systems of injustice and supports the young people who are too often impacted by these systems. Choose 180 envisions a future where youthful behavior is decriminalized and young people are offered restorative practices in lieu of traditional prosecution. In place of the school-to-prison pipeline, a community will exist to help young people realize their potential and provide them with the tools necessary to achieve their dreams. So awesome organization, awesome things that they're doing. Um, We're doing a lot of awesome things as well. So give to us, go check them out, and then we can do great things together. Exactly. A really great organization. So make sure you check them out um, and, you know, support them and us at the same time. Uh, But before we go, again, you can find us on uh, social media. Uh, Me and Adrian are always active on there. You can find us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Black Agenda Pod is our handle. Uh, Make sure you like us, follow us and share our content. We're trying to grow this thing here. I mean, we can only do that with your support, not only listening, maybe donating, but also engaging with us on social media. So again, at Black Agenda Pod is our handle. And also check out the YouTube channel. We got a lot of great content. Subscribe to us. We'll be having some upcoming stuff. Uh, so make sure you subscribe and tune in for that. Uh, but again, for me and Adrian, we, we love it. We appreciate you staying with us and listening. This has been Weekly Roundup number nine, and we'll be back with you next Saturday uh, for Weekly Roundup number 10. So until then, we'll catch you next time. Oh, 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 oh,